Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I'm chatting with animation writer and artist Mr. Lance Folk. Chances are if you listen to this show, you grew up with Lance's work. We're talking all things Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, SWAT Cats, and Johnny Quest. Before we roll into this episode, I do want to give a special shout out to our patrons who helped made this show possible. Brent, Bill, Patrick, and Jacob. Thank you guys for your support. If you want to become a patron, check the show notes below and sign up today. Now, let's get to my chat with Lance. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head Podcast. I'm Julian today. I'm joined by Lance. Lance, man, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Oh, man, I'm glad to have you, man. Uh, much like, uh, first off, shout out to Robert Alvarez. He's the one that set this one up. He told me I should for sure check you out and hit you up and see if you wanted to come on the show. And when I asked him, I was like, is it that Lance that's worked on, like I said, almost everything I've ever seen as a kid? And it was that Lance. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we, we might talk about a couple things here. You know, Zombie Island, you've seen Lance's name pop up quite a bit. Uh, you know, you talk a lot about that one, which is one of my favorite things. But something you had said in a podcast a few years ago that, uh, that I found interesting, and I wanted to see if we could draw any correlation to it um you had said you know back when zombie island was coming out that you know scooby wasn't really uh and i'm paraphrasing at this point but scooby wasn't really hitting or there wasn't any really mainstream scooby stuff before zombie island pup named scooby-doo had stopped a couple years ago or a couple years prior and it wasn't until um i don't know if you know him, but van partible the guy that created johnny bravo he yeah. did johnny meets scooby and right. he had had the same story. He said the same thing. They weren't really doing anything with Scooby. They were kind of letting them, you know, mothball in a sense. Um, now, I, I thought about this question earlier, and I would love to ask you, see what your insight was. Um, with that being said, Johnny Bravo comes out a year prior to Zombie Island. Do you know if there was any stir up, you know, before that? Like, hey, we wanted to bring Scooby back to the mainstream. We wanted to make him a focal point with Hanna-Barbera and Cartoon Network. Well, I don't know because I'm not really in that chain of command, but... Um... It seems to me that, like the the track that got us making those movies, is pretty separate from Van. Like uh, Van, you know, like loves the uh, the show, and he had a little power on his show to throw in some HB guest stars, and he just did. But I don't think one really correlates to the other. Uh, we were I've mentioned this before. We were doing um, these movies because they did a series of. Uh, uh, interviews or polls or whatever in like supermarkets and shopping malls and things and they were kind of asking everybody and uh, you know which which characters they were more familiar with or who they liked and just trying to do some market research and Scooby always scored like really really high in those things and so uh, they felt like well we got to do a Scooby thing and simultaneously with that Warner Brothers was very successful and Disney with direct-to-video feature-length uh, movies. So they put the two and two together and said, well, if we put out Scooby, they'll probably buy it because they've heard of it and we're going to do a direct-to-video movie. Um, but they actually had no idea. They were blown away by how well Zombie Island did. And it just, like, you know, could have been a one-off, but instead it, it became an ongoing thing and to this day. Um, just different people work on it. So there now, you go with with this one. And I, and I heard you had mentioned, you know, after Zombie Island, there was a huge shakeup. They kind of tried to but everybody wants to get their thumbprint on when something hits. When something's a right. flop, nobody wants any part to do with. But when it's a hit, like right. everybody wants to say, I had them do this. I wrote this. You know what I mean? And it, it's it's for a good reason. You know, you always want to be attached to something good. Now, when that shakeup happens, um, what what is that process going from 
this blockbuster of a movie. Like I said, I grew up with this one. I love this one. This is hands down my favorite of the directed uh, director to video Scooby Doo movies. But what is that whole process like? I mean, they just come in and say, "Hey, this is the direction we're going." Well, well, uh, you're paraphrasing a famous uh, quote, which is, "A uh, a success has a thousand parents, and failure is an orphan." And uh, luckily, we we had a, uh, or unluckily, we had a thousand parents. They completely left us alone for the first movie, and that was making a lot of money. An executive at the studio decided to um, become more hands-on and involved, and put real writers, like live-action writers, on our project. Now, I think Zombie Island's brilliantly written. Yes, there's no no need for anyone to muck with something that works but certain executives don't have that uh uh, uh wisdom or critical thinking ability whatever you want to call it and so they they said here's a script and the script wasn't bad but it did have problems and it had to be worked over pretty pretty thoroughly mainly it didn't have an ending it, it was only sort of two-thirds of a story and um, it ended script-wise with the unmasking. And we took it to this whole new level where the real witch's ghost shows up. And I think that's what makes the movie, you know, it makes it more a lot more interesting. So um, they left us alone. And then the third movie was the one I co-wrote with uh, Davis Doy. He co-writes all of these. And uh, that was uh, Alien Invaders, and they left us alone. Had a ball doing it. I had a lot of fun. Um, the only real difference was there was there were no breaks whatsoever on Zombie Island. And by the time we got to the second one, the third one, they were like, yeah, you can back off on the super scary stuff because little kids are watching this. And I I do not disagree with that at all. I freaking love Zombie Island, but I'm a grown up, you know. But I'm not a little kid, and and that is a pretty pretty intense movie. That's why most adults prefer it to all the other ones because it was the only unfettered horror fest uh, Scooby movie. So we did a Alien Invaders, and then thought things are going well, and they dumped the literally literally the worst script I'd ever read on our desk. Insisted that we make it, and it was so problematic that we barely got through it, and then we thought, okay, it's our turn again. And they went, no, it isn't. And they dumped another script by the same writer on us that was possibly even worse. And that was that, you know, that broke that that broke up the band. And we all scattered after that. Uh, so I'm not sure if that answered your question, what it was like. It was great when they let us alone and a nightmare when they didn't, you know, so... Now, when you guys have a creative and artistic freedom, when they leave you alone, like you were saying, um, what's that process getting, you know, a script or getting, you know, scenes boarded or things animated? Are, are you guys going to anybody in particular? Are they literally saying, just make something good? How does that whole process work? No, there's always a, there's always a degree of pitching something. Um, you always have to, they don't just say, show up in nine months with a finished film. You know, you have to kind of get them to sign off on various stages, sign off on the idea, sign off on the basic designs, uh, then sign off on the script, and then possibly even sign off on the board 
But like I said, the ones where they left us alone, it was pretty, it was pretty smooth. If we got notes, they were incredibly minimal. And sometimes those, listen, sometimes notes are helpful. Sometimes notes mm-hmm. are, are good. You know, I'm I'm not uh, like John Kay is very militant. You know about executive uh, executives. I've gotten some great notes that I was happy to in, in, um, enact in a show, um, both on SWAT Cats and Johnny Quest. I, I got like, oh, that's a better ending, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred Cyber gave me a great note. Right. I forgot what it was at this time, but Fred Cyber, who ran, was running HB when I was doing SWAT Cats, um, the first script I wrote, he he just kind of called me and said, I had this idea and he threw it at me and I was like, oh, that's much better. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not impossible. Um, I'll, I'll 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 go on a geek side trip now. Is original classic Star Trek had a lot of um, uh, network people kind of with their fingers in the pie on that one, but they seem to kind of steer the show towards a, a, a certain format, a certain template, a certain level of action adventure, a certain. Uh, mitigation of silly silly things and um when and and a real emphasis on what the a plot was and when you got to next generation that networks really like roddenberry you make what show you want they make a show that i uh, i don't find particularly compelling you know from an adventure standpoint it's all you know it's all like this story is about Worf being a single dad and this story is about troy losing her powers and this story is about you know, whatever, and Picard fighting with his brother in a vineyard, you know, whatever. And and there there is an action plot in there, but it's really shoved down. And that and what I consider would be a B or even a C plot is elevated to take up most of the screen time. And um that's without network interference, that stuff. So, you know, I think the guys that were pushing Roddenberry a little bit in the first one. I don't know firsthand, you know, but that's my impression. I got you. You can only go off your past experiences and what you think. And um, now when, when we're talking scripts, um, Lance 20 years ago, would you find the same scripts interesting 25 years ago that you do now? Or obviously that's a probably a loaded question, but are you still looking for some of the same aspects or some of the same, uh, I don't want to say tropes, but what are you looking for now when you want to write a script? Well, I haven't, I haven't really written anything script wise since, uh, since alien invaders, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I've done a few little things here and there. I've done a few of my own just vanity things. Um, uh, as far as evolving case, which I, I believe your question is, um, I don't know. I mean, in intervening couple of decades, I've been exposed to a lot more things um, that uh, that really kind of made me think a little bit about, mm-hmm. well, if I ever got back into this, I certainly have a thought about that. Um, a friend of mine described it as if you write a script and you describe a character's emotion, and that there are a lot of variables. You say so and so is angry. And I'm like, yeah, but is he angry like Walter White, or is he angry like Spock? You know, kind of yeah. thing. And so the word angry doesn't do it. You know, um, so nuance, nuance like that. Uh, hopefully, if I ever did any more writing, would would influence me. 
you know, I've been watching a lot of things that I consider really, really strongly written. And they they all make me think. Uh, the new, the newer reboot. I know it's it's a while ago now, but the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. The um, currently watching for all mankind. I'm trying to think shows I really, really like. Uh, the Expanse, you know, is another sci-fi show. And these things really like wow, you can kind of get in there and tell a complex story with great character beats, you know, but but have really. Uh, poignant character moments things we all know in instinctively but watching it employed it um it uh gives me food for thought you know moving forward yeah. so now with with where you're at now um yeah. you know excuse me uh with where you're at now um you know, on the art side, did you find more enjoyment? Obviously there are two different things, but you know, one hand washes the other. Would you have more enjoyment writing than boarding or modeling or designing? Like what would you find is your, your lane that you like to stick to the most? Well, the, the, the most fun I have uh, is definitely been writing uh, Johnny quest because mm -hmm. I really, you know, had my fingers in something. I felt it really, knew intimately and loved and understood and could bring some some of my best skills to um it also writing pays a lot more than drawing like three times as much um that's insane. but i like drawing you know i enjoy it it's it's a way to make a living it doesn't feel like work to me i've never gotten up and said oh god i've got to draw ray guns for rick and morty or uh, a, a jigsaw puzzle for curious george or anything i was always enjoyed i always enjoy that uh but i'm not precious with it i'm not um emotionally invested in those things whatever notes they give me i just you bet and i'll do them i don't get like eh. but when i write something and i get notes well well you know we'll see <laughs> right well because i really feel it it, it really comes mm -hmm. from me and um so um um that's I, I guess a little more important to to my creative uh uh impulses but i like drawing you know and uh it's fine i mean the the, the only downside i've ever had in doing like model work is if i'm working and this hasn't happened in years but if i'm working for somebody that can't make their mind up where you do something and they give you notes and then you enact those notes and then they go all right, now that I see it, let's do this other thing. Like, and I'll do draw it a third time. And then, ah, you know, I'm thinking, and eventually it ends up like my first drawing, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And I point that out is that's the only thing that I don't like, you know, about doing models. Um, and it hasn't happened in a really, really long time. I work with really, really good people. That uh, the last whole bunch of shows I've been on that. Uh, give me a great note and I get it and always makes me look better. And, uh, so, you know, it, it depends like, but, but I'm not precious with it at all. If they want to change it, I, yeah, sure. You know, Hey there, I'm Isaiah and welcome to my channel, 47 cartoon guy, a channel dedicated to all things, animation and nostalgia. I do retrospectives, short comedic videos and remember videos. If I could get away with it, that is. 
I have many videos dedicated to some of my favorite animation properties, such as nostalgic lookbacks on Cartoon Network's Golden Age, and also videos focusing on Scooby-Doo, one of my favorite cartoons of all time. My most recent series, The Fantastic Legacy of Hanna-Barbera, dives into the history of the legendary animation studio and its founders. If you love my videos, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and click the bell icon so you'll know when I have a new video up. And also consider donating to my Patreon, where you can support the channel and get early access to videos, behind the scenes pics, and even view exclusive future remember videos. Thanks for watching and I hope to see you soon. Until next time, I'm 47 Cartoon Guy and I gotta fly. It's a lot, uh, I guess it's a lot easier to kind of go along with the flow, but really pick a hill you want to die on. Now, hills and dying on, since we're talking Zombie Island, hopefully that was a decent yes. segue. Um, with Zombie Island, man, was this, I don't want to say an instant success because it, it blew up. I remember when this one came out, like all of my friends were talking about it. all my friends that weren't really into cartoons anymore saw this and like oh i'm suddenly back into cartoons so this is an entry point for a lot of my friends that had you know kind of started chasing girls or sports or anything like that now was it right out of the gate it was an instant success for you guys and hanna barbera and cartoon network yeah i think it was i think it uh it sold really well right off the bat i think you got great reviews right off the bat um you know we we weren't horribly shocked by it we thought we did a did probably the best scooby thing ever done you know yes watching it in screenings were like it's the best scooby thing ever done and um that's how we felt that might some of your hardcore traditional fans might take offense with that and i'm sorry but um i can also detach myself and think of myself as a viewer and it would be a lot more interesting to me like watching zombie island than any other scooby that had come before you know or since uh, which is a little well they're you know they're formulaic as tv mm -hmm. can be and we were breaking the formula you know so it was it was definitely fresh and surprising and a little more interesting you know so i i always like not knowing what's around the corner you know when i'm yeah. watching something. so um with with that being said, obviously you guys are seeing, you know, the dailies come back. You're seeing scenes animated. So you guys are seeing bits and pieces of the movie for quite some time before it's seen in its full. What was it like watching it with a live wild crowd out in the civil? What was it like watching it with civilians is what I'm getting at. Well, um, I think we had an in-studio in screening. I almost mm -hmm. said in-scubio in studio screening for it and it went over really well and i thought i was just looking around like yeah the, this is playing you know really well because you never yeah. really really know you hope mm -hmm. you know but everyone tries their best on everything and and uh i felt it pretty much stuck the landing and did what we wanted it to do and uh and everyone seemed to feel the same you know so was there anything that uh, you might have thought got a bigger reaction or you wished have got a bigger reaction? I know that's a long time ago to try to think about, but does anything stick out to you? Not really. Not really. I Because I, I think overall the film is a film and telling a story and how it plays. And it played well and it had a, a, had a good, you know, good pacing to it, had a good start and then had a good satisfying ending, mm -hmm. which a lot of things can't do. And uh, no, I, 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 
like if the vague question is, would you change anything? I wouldn't on Zombie Island. I was, Good, you know, we're perfect. all really happy with it. We're all really happy. I think that Mook got better drawing the characters by the fourth film. As much as I hate the fourth film, it's beautiful looking. They really drew the hell out of that thing. And I wish I could take some of that and move it downstream a little bit because the um, the animation is amazing. It's like when I was working on Johnny Quest, some of what I felt like my stronger scripts had some of the worst, uh, some of the weakest animation. And, um, but once in a while, they really hit it. Like my favorite Swag Cat script and my favorite uh, Johnny Quest script both had like dynamite animation. I even, the same guy directed both those and I think I sent him a watch, you know, because I liked what he did so much. So, but another thing that uh, I was a really big fan of um, was SWAT cats, man. And mm -hmm. I've, I've told this story to Robert because um, SWAT cats came up in Fred Cyber as well. I've had him on a couple of mm -hmm. times and uh, SWAT cats, when it would come on, on Cartoon Network when I was growing up, it was a ceasefire between me and my brother for 30 minutes. There was no fighting. There was no nothing. We were sitting down eating snacks watching SWAT cats, man. So what was that one like? Do you remember where you're at when you got that call said, Hey, we want you to come over and write some of these scripts. Did you know the Tremblay brothers? How does that one flush out? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I got to know the Tremblay brothers through doing the show. In fact, uh, Christian, and I just exchanged a message on LinkedIn the other day, but, um, well, that was an interesting thing. I, I'm pretty sure I've told the story elsewhere. So I'll tell it quicker is uh, my boss, Davis Doy, who produced all the things we're talking about, is a great friend, great mentor, mm -hmm. great boss. With due respect to all my great bosses, my best boss. Mm -hmm. And he knew I was interested in writing. And uh, I had actually pitched to Next Generation. And they kicked me out laughing, saying your stuff's way too much like the original show. <laughs> you know, it's all action and yeah, I, I mean that's fair. That wasn't the show they were making. I should have, I should have been a little smarter about that. But uh, anyway, he knew I was interested in writing, and um, when uh, Fred Cyber came in, he changed the rule. And the rule was until then it was the writers and the writing department are autonomous. They take a script, they do it. And they hand it to the producer and the producer has to do that script and any changes really have to be negotiated or, or what have you, and they can tweak it in the board. They can change a line or two dialogue, but really you do what you're given. And um, when Fred came in, one of the first things he did is saying that the producers in charge of the writers, they're not parallel or they're not lateral the uh, producers in charge therefore the producer has a uh, say over who writes the scripts what the scripts are all those things and and on that day that rule changed after banging my head against the wall for years trying to sell something i sold four scripts mm -hmm. so that wasn't because i got better overnight it was because of the rule the rule got changed because those, those staff writers, they don't want artists anywhere near the writing process. They just don't. And um, uh, whether they feel threatened by us or I, I don't know, but um, because we can do our job and also their job. 
but uh it was a it was a thing where um you know uh um to back up the story a little bit davis knew i was interested in writing and when they were developing SWAT cats they had a series of meetings figuring out what the show was from the idea the tremblays pitch and in the meeting were the tremblays glenn leopold the head writer jim stenstrom the head artist davis Doyle, and myself and that was because of davis davis said well you're interested in writing why don't you come into these meetings well we develop it and see what you come up with and so i was on the ground floor of that particular show and um one of you know and everyone had a lot of ideas in the room we were trying to come up with names for the characters because they were originally chuck and jaeger when they were pitched and eventually came up with t-bone and razor um the big i'd say the big uh, uh structural contribution i made was they were originally operating out of a junkyard and i said no it's got to be a government salvage yard so that they have airplane parts and more tech things that in weapons and things that they can build into the turbo cab. So that, that went over really well, you know, Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, so um, we had a series of these very productive meetings where people, uh, Jim and, the, and Christian are doing sketches and trying to figure it out. And so after those series of meetings, I knew the show as well as anybody because I was in the room when it was being forged. And um, so Davis pulled me aside and said, okay, listen, I know you're interested in writing. So you, now you know the show, pitch some ideas. So we set up a lunch. Like I think it was at the Carl's Jr. down the street from Hanna-Barbera. And I came up with uh, like four ideas and I pitched them. And he said, I like all four of these. So uh, we'll test you. Write, write the idea you you like the most out of these four, and we'll see how it goes from there. And I wrote Destructive Nature. And uh, he uh, he signed off on the other three um, right away. So um, that that's how that went. And uh, it's it was a tremendous boon to my life let alone career you know i bought i bought my first car like my first yeah. new car from those scripts i bought it like a, you know, so i know it was nine, 1993 because i bought a 1993 miata it's the first year they came out and i still have miatas i i'm like very consistent i guess i'm on my like fourth or fifth miata and uh little and getting to write and then um then i kind of after that show kind of bounce over to warner brothers and they're like no you're a prop guy you're gonna draw props but i have videotapes of produced shows yeah 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 that's nice and then i was on uh animaniacs doing props and then davis called me and he said he said you know those those uh guys that were doing johnny quest and kind of ruining it and went yeah said, well, they, they finally got fired and um, they asked me if I'd run it. And uh, I said, yes, but only if I can get Jim and Davis or Jim and uh, Glenn and Lance on board and they're scattered to the four winds. And, and uh, you know, if I can get, if you, you're willing to get my team back, then, uh, you know, I'll do Johnny Quest. 
And so I was hired as a staff writer as opposed to a designer. All the time on Swat Cats, I was a staff designer and I wrote scripts over the weekend as a freelancer and uh, for the two seasons. But Johnny Quest was like, you're, you're, you're a capital W writer. You're sitting at, in front of a word processor and you write scripts. And so that's my that was my purpose on Johnny Quest. Another bit of evolution was uh, Glenn Leopold, who I adore and really admire his talent. Uh, Glenn Leopold was a little bit of that old school uh, writers versus artists thing in the Hanna-Barbera. He was very cooperative and, and so forth. But I could tell there was a little tension there. And we had a little, there, was a, there wasn't really a problem, but there was a little tension there. And, and we worked it out. And then when I came out of Johnny Quest, which was a, a show under incredible deadlines, that the fact that I knew the show backwards and forwards and come up with stories that immediately got approved, um, I, I was a boon to him. You know, I was like, really, he was really glad to have me on that show. And any kind of, any kind of problems we might have had before were washed away. And they were real minor, like I said. And Glenn and I are, you know, friends and and so forth. So, um, uh, I think I answered your question. Absolutely. Now, with uh, we've mentioned three different franchises here. You know, Zombie Island, SWAT Cats, and Johnny Quest. Is there one? I usually save this question for last. I always tell. I always ask you guys. Hey, if you guys had a Mount Rushmore, animators, writers, producers, you know, voice actors, who would it be on that? But when it comes to your your career is there a moment that that sticks out more so that's just so much more satisfying than the other ones i have to imagine with the way your eyes light up when you talk about johnny quest it has to be johnny quest but i'm probably wrong on that one no no you're right nothing comes yeah. close to the experience of working on my favorite show with my favorite boss and having a level of power it was only compromised in terms of we were following up and had to link up with really badly conceived a badly conceived version of the show so we inherited some terrible things that we had to do uh like this uh cyberspace thing and moving the family from they were in maine in this stuffy old mansion as opposed to this uh florida lab you know from the original show and things like that i mean there were there were compromises so that the bad ones and the good ones would kind of hook up and not confuse anyone but except for that man i had a lot of fun and at the time um like i was a nut about the show babylon five nut about it and it was currently airing so i was able to, like can we get some of those guys in we got i got like three babylon five actors to come in to do uh johnny quest episodes so and we got robert patrick in and um to do uh oh that was the swat cats and so i got to kind of meet meet people and mark hamill's freaking great you know yeah. mark worked on all those projects and uh from a guy who saw star wars in theaters in the day like a hundred times it was so great meeting mark because he was a great guy he's a great guy mm -hmm. as well as a great talent so uh yeah nothing comes close to johnny quest for me ever i would have man i would have signed a 20-year contract to keep doing that job and it was a lot of work but I would have signed that contract. I said, this is all I ever need to do the rest of my, my career. Uh, I, I love it 
love that time aggressively so nothing comes close you know it's like everybody has that one relationship they're never quite over no matter what yeah um and that was the show i was i've never you know i've had great times you know and very few bad times but nothing comes close to that i friggin love that show and i love the premise i love the characters and i love the kind of stories you can tell and um when i was a kid the first real novel grown up grown up big boy pants book i ever read was the andromeda strain mm. by michael crichton michael crichton and it was a um uh it was a change from movie tie-ins and like star trek novels and things like that it was the first real book book i read and i became a big michael crichton fan and going through all his works i realized that he and doug wildy play in the same sandbox they read popular mechanics and popular science and they look at technology that's on the drawing board like only a couple of years away uh like vertical takeoff and landing planes which weren't real when they made Johnny Quest, but they were in the magazines and they put them in there. Uh, the first mention in Quest of a laser, first first time there was like really a kind of a practical version of a computer that we know was in Johnny Quest. And so what Michael Crichton does is he, oh, I'm going to look at cloning and da da da. And if you think about Jurassic Park, perfect Johnny Quest story, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say Dr. Quest is auditing for the government like his old friend who's cloning dinosaurs and it's a very sciencey idea that's kind of in these uh, journals these scientific journals but then at the end of the day it's a bunch of giant dinosaurs chasing two kids right yeah so it's like the perfect johnny quest story i think it would be a better johnny quest story than jurassic park was a jurassic park story there's a book he wrote called congo made a bad kind of a bad movie out of it but a great book that would make a great Johnny great. Quest story because it's sort of a technology, but also wilds of Africa with animals and things. Uh, Twister would make a great Johnny Quest episode. Mm -hmm. So he's he's definitely playing in the same sandbox. So I was always drawn to that, like, like science fiction, but really close, but really mm -hmm. incredible and believable. You know, no time traveler aliens or faster than light or anything like that. It was... You know, people in jeans and T-shirts with guns going to a location on a map. And I found it very relatable, very realistic, very exciting. From a little kid, I, I was in love with that show. I was so fortunate later in life to uh, share a room with um, one of the main layout artists on the original show, a fellow named Tony Segroy, who's a genius artist, and I miss him dearly. And of course, Doug Wildey, the creator of the show, I became friends with him and uh would visit him he he and his wife ellen retired out in las vegas and my mother lived in las vegas at the time so whenever i'd see mom i'd i'd visit the wildies and i was quite proud to you know be a friend of the guy that created my favorite show as a kid you know i see a trekkie like hanging out with gene roddenberry or a twilight zone guy hanging out with rod serling that's what it felt like to me so there you go that's 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 really cool, and I, I wrote down a couple things because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget them. But getting to see you guys nerd out and geek out the way we geek out when we get to talk to you, like that's that's the same feeling I get when I talk to you or I talk to Robert, or I talk to anybody else I've had on because I see you guys' name in the credits. Excuse me, 
And it's not like you guys are raising me, but you guys, I, I was sat in front of a TV and said, watch this. And then you know, it was many years later, I started realizing like, oh, there's, there's people. And as you're a little kid, you don't know, you just know Scooby-Doo and you know, Fred, and you start seeing these people. And then you start hearing that what I'm getting at is you guys put on your pants the same way we do, man. You guys are fans of the people that you grew up with, just like we're fans of you. Now I have to imagine, um, have you seen the show Black Mirror? Yeah. Love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I have to imagine there's probably a lot of good stories that they've told in there that would make good Johnny Quest stories as well, because it's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's some, it's and some it, wild shit, but I run stuff through a Johnny Quest filter a lot, you know, like, <laughs> like, but it has to be kind of near. There are a lot of, a lot of twilight zones where they're, ah, oh, that premise, mm -hmm. that would be a good premise. You know, actually the Jordan Peele iteration of uh, twilight zone, yes. I thought Fantastic. Had, some, had a handful of Johnny Quest story ideas in it that were really good um but uh i i guess you're making me think of something now when you're talking to robert alvarez mm -hmm. and uh one reason the reason i agreed to do the podcast i listened to roberts and i listened to bob singers and i was like all right <laughs> i get it and they're friends of mine you know so uh robert described himself you you were telling me this right before we rolled tape um that he described himself as a mechanic yeah. in animation. And um, I, that isn't modest. That is, that's just, uh, it takes a village and we all have specialties. And Bill Plimpton's like the only guy I know who's a one man band who can do a whole cartoon by himself. And um, so it calls for a lot of specialization. And when somebody says, Oh, you're you're an animator. I said, well, no, an animator. If you think about building a car, animator is the guy that put the, that made the steering wheel and put it on, <laughs> you yeah. know. But they're people that make the transmission and the engine and that, you know. But animators become this kind of uh, layman's uh, um, uh, short term. Yeah, yeah. That they kind of don't get what we do. So what I do is I'm a designer. I'm not very good at drawing characters. Um, and there are a lot of elements, like there are storyboard people who specialize in, and they can be even rough, loose, scribbly drawings, but they're able to kind of explain the script in a visual way, like a kind of a comic strip. Um, so then there are designers. And think of a designer as, uh, think of designers as a three-legged stool. And so one leg of the stool are the character people. And the character people do obviously design all the new characters. So if you see Flint, the Flintstones, everyone knows what they look like, but they go into a restaurant. There's a maitre d'. That's a new character. People sitting in the restaurant. Fred gets a bowl of soup dumped on his head. You have to do that as a drawing, as a model. Or Fred gets in a tuxedo or Wilma's in a dress or puts her hair down. Those are things characters do. But also all those little animals in the Flintstones, like the, like the bird as a record player or the, mm -hmm. the woolly mammoth as a vacuum cleaner character stuff. If it has a pulse character guys do it. Um, and then part two of that, the leg two of the three legged stool is your background design because you're always going to new places. So you have to uh, imagine them in the style of the show and the bowling alley, the restaurant, you know, if we're talking about Flintstones, Johnny quest, Tremendous amount of work in that area because it was a travel show. Uh, and then last but not least is guys like me. So I do props and vehicles and effects. 
And anything that animates, that's not a character. And so that could be, uh, you know, if somebody's working on Batman, they figure out the Batmobile, they figure out all his weapons, they figure out the, the effects of the guns going off, they figure out the guns, they figure out these things. And, um, you know, if the sky is animating, like the clouds are coming in, the, the prop guy does that stuff. And um, that's mainly what I do, uh, you know, when I don't get to write, I do props. I started really doing props in earnest on Animaniacs, which I call a resume topper, the original Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing it on staff on SWAT Cats, uh, although we had some really, really great prop guys on that show. Uh, Eric Clark, Scott Hill, and Eugene Matos were genius guys on that show um but rick and morty my current show if when i was watching it as a fan before i worked on it um i was sort of blown away by the the amount of designs every single episode of that show has like that is a dense show they go to a lot of planets with tons of aliens and spaceship armadas and you know effects and crowd scenes and, and, and montages where you go location, location, location. And I was just watching it thinking like, kn- knowing what I know about production, like, holy crap, there isn't a single easy episode of this show. Because in real life, in real life, in other shows I worked on, once in a while, there'd be a hard one. And there'd be a couple of easy ones around it. And you would rob from Peter to pay Paul. So you're really given like a week to do each show, say. But really, that show is going to take a couple of weeks. So you kind of pretend that you're working on the other ones or or as far as management's concerned, each show took a week, you know, but then you load them up. Now, uh, a related story to that was Chuck Jones when he was doing Warner Brothers shorts, which are my favorite comedy shorts. He created the Roadrunner as a way of doing something with very few designs in it. Two characters, reuse of backgrounds, not a lot of dialogue. They they were created to be economical so that he could do things like what's opera doc and uh, duck amuck and really complex, detailed cartoons with a lot of backgrounds, a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Now, Roadrunner doesn't seem to suffer from being quote unquote built to be simple to produce uh, because Chuck was a genius. And he can make anything funny. But that's how he did it. So let's say they had, I don't know, 11 weeks to make each Warner Brothers short. Duck Amuck probably took twice that. But the Roadrunners took half that. You know, so so it all it all balanced out. As long as they were delivering a show every whatever it was, you know, every 11 weeks. I made that number up, but whatever it is. Yeah. As long as they were delivering an episode every 11 weeks, it was management didn't care. But that's how you do those things. Rick and Morty, every show's complicated. But Rick and Morty also uh, has a great management strategy where, well, it is what it is, and we throw bodies on. You know, we mm-hmm. we we have a large staff. I wanted six people doing my job. I think there got to be half dozen background designers. Got to be half dozen uh, uh, character people at least. But they're willing to, if a show is even heavier than heavy, 
they they will open the gates to having some freelancers or maybe a little overtime or something to get the show done. Like nobody's slacking on that show, but it's a ton of work. And, um, you know, it's job security being on, <laughs> being on a really heavy show. Um, so, so anyway, and, and so those are the three legs of design. I tend to be the prop guy. Um, I will do cleanup. I'll do background cleanup and character cleanup, which is just doing a pretty line on a rough drawing. Um, but I'm not really designing those things. But I have some of those credits. I bounce between Rick and Morty and I help out a show called Solar Opposites. That's sort of yeah. like the sister show. Has the same style, so I don't have to change gears radically. And I like working on solar quite a bit. They're very nice. And uh, I get to do a little more character and background cleanup on that show. And uh, hmm, trying to think what else. So, oh, and of course, everything goes to the color department. And we have a great color team that really yes, renders stuff beautifully. And if you look at these, look at the colors of these shows when they go to an alien world or a, a special effects montage, it's jaw dropping, you know, how rich and beautiful the stuff looks. So, so there you go. I run out of that. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there was uh, two things I want to circle back to, man. Um, you said you had gotten to meet the and you know be friends with the creator of your favorite cartoon of all time, Johnny Quest. I have to imagine there was one thing you always wanted to ask him about that series, whether it was something you found out as an adult or something you might have thought about as a kid. Is there anything that sticks out like once you got to hang out with him that you just always wanted to pester him about with Johnny Quest? Not Doug per se. Doug and I had a lot of conversations about Johnny Quest, um, but. He he said, which was kind of surprising to me, was he said he, of all the cartoons he made, he thought his Planet of the Apes show for Patty Freeling was his mm -hmm. favorite. And you look at that and like, doesn't animate much. But I think probably Quest was a battle for him at all times. And Patty Freeling kind of let him do what he wanted to do. And so it was probably more of a, a more of a managerial thing um why was it a battle what's that why, why was it a, a battle every time you said it was a well, battle every time well um i think more like that the patty freeland wasn't a bet wasn't any kind of he had total freedom on that thing so he didn't have to take meetings or get things approved or anything like that um there's a uh but uh, I'd always always thought that was odd. Like, well, geez, Doug, Johnny Quest is so much better. But you don't yeah. want to insult his taste. Like, why do you like that ape show? Yeah. Johnny Quest. Um, I did ask Joe, though, is in the day, the reason Johnny Quest was uh, canceled after 26 and one season was not because it wasn't doing well, but because it literally cost the studio twice as much to make as say Top Cat or Yogi Bear or something. Mm -hmm. And and that's because of a more detailed, complicated show and um, harder to do. So there are a lot of, lot of retakes and redoing things because we're trying to train Flintstone artists how to draw like Milton Kniff, you know, like realistic. Mm -hmm. And so um, I believe they were given the opportunity to do more, but 
Joe was like, you know what? Let's just do Top Cat <laughs> or something. And what I did ask him, do you regret pulling the plug on it? He says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because that ended up being a real cult classic and a big hit. And, and uh, yeah, we should have done like like five seasons of that show. And I was like, I can't think of anything. I'd, I I would rather see than that, you know, it's like yeah. like my little time travel fantasy is to like, keep making Johnny Quest with the original team. And that show only would have gotten better because if you look at the the animation in the first couple of episodes and the last couple of episodes, there's a quantum leap in the animator's ability to draw in that style. Uh, the last couple of episodes are stunning. And uh, the first ones are a little rubbery, a little cartoony. Um, it's still, they still work fine. All the scripts are really good, but boy, they really learned how to draw it. It's it's kind of like when we were going to the moon and we were just getting good at it when they pulled the plug, you know? Yeah. So like by the end, we had a car and, <laughs> you know, we were really <laughs> cooking up there, but, and staying for days and days, but, you know, wasn't meant to be, right? What made Johnny Quest so endearing to you? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. If you look, if you buy the DVD or the Blu-ray, the latest Blu-ray, I'm on a documentary on that called uh, Johnny Quest Adventures in Animation, which you can also find on YouTube. And it's me and a bunch of famous guys. So it's me and Brad Bird and Alex Ross and uh, Steve Rude and uh, whole Dan Reba. And I'm actually really good friends with all those guys, except I don't know Brad Bird. I wish I did. He's one of my favorite creators working. Yeah. But um, we all talk about why that show is great. And I'm on there more than anybody, even though all these guys are more famous. I, I really do have the intricate uh, knowledge of the show, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm an expert on that show. I'm just going to say it. And so if you watch that, that, blu-ray that will answer your question in depth i will say briefly that of all the adventure shows ever made it's the most realistic that mm -hmm. like i said jeans and t-shirts and guns and they go to a place on a map and half the time there isn't even a supernatural element it's just a straight up adventure um where even like every other adventure show there's super Heroes. They have costumes and powers. Even the Ghostbusters were matching uniforms and have esoteric, you know, weapons and things like that. Johnny Quest was completely, damn. I mean, this is almost real. They yeah. only drew it because it would have been too expensive to film, you know, because HB did live action stuff at the time, but they are not going to, they're not going to do a show like that. Well, we got to go to Nepal one week and the South Pole the next week, and you know, in Japan, they're not going to do that. So why not draw it? You know, but uh, it's it's just real. It's a very realistic show. It was uh, had very sophisticated scripts. Uh, Joe Barbera directed. Well, all the you know all the HB voice work is pretty outstanding. Like all the voice work, all the music pretty outstanding through like up through the up through the 60s um but jq like is there a better theme song than that or better opening title sequence than that you know when i was a little kid my head like freaking blew up when i 
hear that drum and you know so there you if go. you could if you could get in that metaphorical time if you can get in that metaphorical delorean and you can go back and you can watch any one of those original 26 for the first time again is there one or maybe two that stick out well well uh <clears throat> my favorite is probably the robot spy and my second favorite is probably Invisible Monster. Um, but uh, listen, man, I love watching them for the hundredth time, you know, yeah, just fine. I have a really good sell from the Invisible Monster, actually. Really good sell. Yeah. My only JQ sell, but it's like, you know, it's a real nice one. Uh, it's like Johnny Race and Haji wearing jetpacks and Race has a rifle and it's really on model. And uh, Steve Rude actually recreated the background for me. And I had Bill and Joe and Doug and Tim Matheson all sign it. So that's really yeah. cool. And they'll they'll have to bury me with that thing. You know, I'll never <laughs> sell I sold treasures over the years. So I'll never sell that. Yeah, that's really cool, man. Um, obviously, I think if you had if you had the keys to the kingdom, you would for sure be making a Johnny Quest show right now. If oh, yeah. you could. Hypothetically, I, I know some of you guys don't like the hypotheticals, uh, you know, but I, I think this would be fun because when I get to when I get to just not poke the bear, but when I get to prod you guys just a little bit for for what, you know, is you guys thing, Johnny Quest being your thing. I like seeing what you could do. But if you if you had the chance to do Johnny Quest again, was there one story that you wanted to tell in that original run that you didn't get to tell or have you got one that you've yeah. always wanted to explore? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to do the. uh Backstory: What happened to Johnny's mother? Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. And um, I already kind of picked a name for her, Rachel, which I think made it into canon. Um, and um, a thing that I don't know how deep I want to get in this, but a thing that kind of annoys me is when these coincidences and connections keep keep showing up and stuff. And I just roll my eyes like, oh, guess what? The Joker is the one that shot Bruce Wayne's parents. You know, stuff like that. It's just highly irritating to me. Like, uh, so let me get this straight. Darth Vader built C-3PO and, (laughs) you know, stuff like that makes me nuts. And certain versions of Johnny Quest said that Dr. Zinn was the guy that killed Johnny's mother because he's their nemesis. And therefore... And I would love to destroy that because if Dr. Zinn had responsible for the death of Benton Quest's wife, the show would be called Benton Quest hunts down the man who made him a widower. Yeah. He wouldn't care about anything but getting that guy. And because when Zinn shows up in the original show, he only shows up in four episodes and never in the same room. He's on the screen. You know, they, they're never in the, because somebody gets in the same room with them, they die, usually a bad guy. But uh, when Zinn first shows up, he says, Oh, Dr. Zinn, he knew him, but he didn't like you, mother, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get, get you. So um, what I did during my run of the show was I, I put them in the same room. And Dr. Quest said, You know, you have, endangered my family you almost killed my son a bunch of times now and i'm gonna take i'm gonna take this out you know i'm gonna take you apart and race bannon's like whoa wait i'm the bodyguard he goes no this he's mine 
I get it. And they're like, all right, you know. And to me, that's a realistic response. Not not that he killed, he didn't kill his wife, but he did subsequently endanger his family quite a bit. So of course it's it's personal. So I would like to tell that really personal story. But how I would handle it is how uh, Johnny's mother died is it's a nobody. It's a nobody like the guy who shot uh, Peter Parker's uncle. It's a nobody like the guy who shot Bruce Wayne's parents. The whole point is it's a nobody. And that that there is closure with those stories and they can move on, but it affects everything they do from then on, that one event. But it's not like a constant two guys trying to kill each other all the time over this one thing. I, It's just not realistic to me, you know, enough. So I'd like to just meet Johnny's mom, have the audience fall in love with her, and then she dies. And as a result of that, the government um, assigns race ban into the team to make sure it doesn't happen again to Johnny. So that's my big, my big untold Johnny quest story. Now, if you were to tell that one, what kind of ramifications, not, not so much just to the outside world, but what kind of ramifications do you think that would have for the character inner turmoil or anything like that psychologically? No, because it'd be a prequel, a prequel story. Yeah. So you've already seen the show that happened yeah. after the story I'd want to tell. So um, it's 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 uh, it's not it, it's not retroactively changing anything you've seen. It's mm. simply setting up. Here's why things are the way they are. You know. So I gotcha. think we pick up the show two three years after that happened, and mm. because the family unit's all pretty well established by then, and um, like race is a lot more of a big brother to the kids and that sort of thing when you first meet meet him so i imagine that's like years later and that dr quest will never be over the death of his wife johnny will never be over the death of his mother but they're they're functional now you know they're not uh shackled to their grief. yeah um in your opinion what's keeping you know something like johnny everything's coming back in vogue man i mean scooby's been around since 1969 scooby's never going to go away tom and jerry just had a big screen movie not too long ago a couple years ago what's stopping somebody like warner brothers cartoon network you know old school hannah Barbera cartoons like johnny quest coming back well here's okay here's the thing that may get me in a little bit of trouble but we can cut we this out if you want we had a big meeting when i was last at warner brothers and Fred Cyber, not Fred Cyber, sorry, um, uh, Sam Register, I think he's a very sharp guy. Mm -hmm. Sam had some meetings, some creative meetings with different creative groups. And he explained the rules of the road. He said, even though we have like umpteen, like a thousand DC properties we could do, the only thing he really gets greenlit are Batman or Batman-based things, or if there's a movie coming out or something, but really you can't just go to them and say, let's do the in Inferior Five or let's do the Metal Man or let's do Commandy or something. They just flat out will not like, where's Batman in all this? You know, they just friggin' want Batman because he's a known quantity. Because when they try to go off the Batman menu, they did a Green Lantern, DTV, they did a Wonder Woman one. They were great but they didn't quite sell as well as the Batman ones. And 
so over here at Hanna-Barbera, they have 300 properties, Spot Cats, Johnny Quest, Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles, all these things. And it is like pulling teeth to get them to do something that is not Scooby-Doo. In fact, we the only way we were able to do Johnny Quest was they teamed up Johnny Quest with Tom and Jerry, you know, for a movie. And that was the only way to get them to even consider doing Johnny Quest. So that studio has their eye on Scooby. When it comes to Warner Brothers uh, stuff, it's the Looney Tunes and nothing else. And they have a lot of other things. They have MGM. They have all those things. It's not a giant library, but it's it's more than Tom and Jerry. And what I will say here is, on one hand, I understand why they go with something that proves to sell. And whenever they drift off that menu, they don't quite sell as well. And I understand that. But what my opinion is, if you're playing the long game, you do those things and you do those things until they do catch on in the zeitgeist. And those moms in the shopping centers checking the Scooby-Doo box, maybe they'll check some other boxes. And uh, if you look at Disney, every little girl knows who Snow White is. Mm -hmm. Snow White's an 80, what, 85-year-old movie? Every little girl knows who that character is because they keep her alive in all sorts of ways. Um, certainly they have advantages like a theme park and, and, and things, but they keep that alive. And uh, they can still make money off that, off Pinocchio and any of these things that they've done. And once in a while they do something kind of like, eh, let's not talk about, you know, uh, a movie they didn't, didn't do as well. But Mary Poppins is, you know, uh, all like almost as old as I am. I guess it's Mary Poppins around 60. And it's one movie. They later on made a sequel. It took them decades and decades. But kids know who Mary Poppins is. So if you go to Hanna-Barbera and you say, what about, uh, what about Frankenstein Jr.? Nobody knows who that is. All right, as we take a pause for the cause, if you haven't yet, you should check us out on all social media platforms by searching at InMyHeadPod. There you can see who we've got coming on, and if you feel so inclined to, you can submit a question to be asked. Now, let's get back to the show. Whose fault is that? Yeah. On my back wall. Yeah. So whose fault is that? And how fun would that be to do Frankenstein Jr.? You know, I tried to pitch... Um, this is a true story. I tried to pitch uh, a version of Space Ghost where it was a half hour and there were little grown-ups. So it was essentially Batman level show. Mm -hmm. But there was a big story arc over like 65, although they're all kind of standalones. And when I pitched Space Ghost, I said, it's Batman in space. All they said was, yeah, he is kind of a funny talk show host. You know, and I like, and these are the people you're dealing with nine, nine out of 10 times, you know, as they don't know their library, they don't respect their library. They don't give a damn about cartoons. Um, the chain of command, while it has, I think Sam registers a really sharp guy who loves cartoons. Cyber, obviously, uh, is a kind of a hero of mine. I love that guy. Um, there are those people. But unless you are a Matt Groening or Seth MacFarlane, where you make the studio a lot of money, you don't really get to do what you want to do. 
And yeah. those guys, they were just like, well, we better not mess with them because they're, they're make this place a boatload of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, that at least is smarter than, you know, not to rock that boat. They don't take an untested bad writer and go to Matt Groening and say, here, do this like they did with us, you know, on Scooby. So anyway, you know, be nice to have that kind of power. If I had any kind of real um, wish, it would be to have the power to say no when I heard something stupid. <laughs> it kind of kind of great power to have. Yeah. <laughs> and only when great you power know, to have. I love to listen. I love to collaborate. I love a great idea. Love great ideas. I don't care where they mm-hmm. come from. Um, you know, I have a show idea that I'm kind of playing with, playing with, and I'll pitch it and probably won't sell it. But what if I did? All I want is to work with really brilliant people that have better ideas than I do and just kind of get the credit, you know, because I put the idea together. So, um, uh, you know, I have to hire really good artists that draw better than me, you know, and hire writers that write better than me, but just be the, at the nucleus of uh, uh, that thing, the forger creation, you know. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see these shows, make sure you write, Warner Brothers, Cartoon Network. I mean, they're talking about another merger now with Paramount Plus. You know, it's just it. It seems, and I, I try to stay away from from shit like this where I say, yeah, you know, the stuff that they're putting out now is not great because there are some gems out there. You know, you have to search for some of them. You know, there are some good things out there that are different that aren't those mainstreams. Like, and there's nothing wrong with the Simpsons. You know, there's nothing wrong with the Seth MacFarlane's. I'm not saying that, but it's like. We all no, want I, something different I love as fans, you know? I, Absolutely. I love everything those two guys happen to do because they're extremely talented and left alone, you know, which and is a rare fans of the medium. Yeah. I mean, the guys that had Johnny Quest before our team, they were left alone. But they were, you know, creatively horrible and hated the original show. And the results are what you see. You give Zach, you know, you give Zach Snyder, you know, who's a big Ayn Rand guy, you give him, that's his philosophy, and you give him Superman, a character that's the opposite of Ayn Rand. And, you know, he doesn't understand what a selfless character is. So he turns Superman into a, you know, a neck snapping lunatic and destroys Metropolis because, well, violence porn is fun, I guess. And, geez, Clark, you should have let those little kids drown in the bus rather than see you. And, and I'm just watching this thinking like, man, some people shouldn't have creative freedom. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, now I'm, I'm going to make a, uh, I'm going to make a little speech. I made it before on a Scooby pro- podcast, but I want it out there. There is a thing that's vital to me, uh, to anything I do or want to do. It's called stewardship. So, there are two kinds of writing. There is uh, SWAT cats. We're making it up. So we go along from ground zero. Could be anything. And then, or there's Scooby-Doo that we inherit. And when you inherit something, you are the steward of that thing. And it doesn't matter if you're personally a big fan of it. You're making it for the big fans. And you can put your own spin on it. You can make it a little more modern, a little more relevant, a little comes some artistic flourishes 
but essentially you're responsible for that toy and you get to play with that toy for a bit. And at some point you put the toy back in the box and you cannot break that toy because you think you know better. Like those original Johnny Quest guys hated the original show. And it it's very obvious when you watch it. Uh, Zack Snyder clearly friggin' hates Superman and he broke that toy. And it's like, I don't know how long ago that was now, but James Gunn is going to come in and try and fix the toy. But that toy's been broken that long. And it's nothing to do with Henry Cavill, who could have been great, but he was given a, a script where his character was a psychotic child, you know. And um, um, I feel really strong about that, even if I got something I didn't like. An example I've used before is, Lance, you're doing Scooby-Doo, and Scrappy-Doo's got to be in it. You know, but I did the best scrappy do I could because yeah. that's Good what job. I consider responsible yeah. thing to do. You know, do Bat Lance do Batman Robin. I'm not crazy about Robin. I don't like sidekicks or comedic, but I'll give I'll give you the best Robin that I'm capable of giving because that's the job, you know, kind mm. of thing. So well, as we uh, start to wind down, I I'm so glad you brought up Frankenstein Jr. and the Possibles. You know, I pointed them back there. You know, I've got Space Ghost, and there there's there's so many things that I try to incorporate. I, I, when I walk in here, I want to feel like a kid again because I'm getting ready to talk to my childhood heroes when I get a when I get to stare at you guys across the screen for you know an hour here and there, you know. And if if I can throw anything out there, have you watched Jellystone at all? Uh, the style didn't encourage me to watch so it. That it definitely has that Family Guy esque vibe to it, as far as some of the humor and then the the animation style that they chose. However, this is really fun. You can tell that people were fans of these these IPs, these characters, these cartoons. You know, you can really feel it in a lot of the writing. I, I think it's really funny. I have a lot of fun writing it, or writing it. I wish I could write. I had a lot of fun watching it, is what I meant to say, um, and getting to see characters like, you know, Yogi and, and TC and, you know, Frankenstein Jr. But one I would love, if you ever get the keys of the kingdom, Lance, this is, I would love to see this one come back. And, and my wife actually got this for me for my birthday. But this was one of my favorite oh, yeah, yeah. cartoons uh, you know, it never gets brought up enough. I've never really met any any of my friends ever watched this one. I was all alone with this one, but I would love to see that one. Frankenstein Jr. and Johnny Quest come back when you get the keys of the kingdom. That is. Well, yeah, I I love Thundar because it's a little like uh, a favorite comic book of mine called Commandy uh, mm -hmm. that Jack Kirby did. But but Thundar is a show that was designed by Jack Kirby and Alex Toth, two of the greatest uh, designers that in anything that ever lived you know in yes comic and animation that sort of thing um yeah thunder thunder is a sweet show it's uh the misnomer is people think it's a hanna-barbera show because the video home video packaging says hanna-barbera but it was produced at our sister studio ruby spears but mm -hmm. ruby spears doesn't have an uh, like a home video imprint so they stick hanna-barbera on there they just lump the ruby spears stuff in with it but uh you know, credit to them for for yes. doing that show. I I like that show a lot. So, um, yeah, that'd be a great one. You know, that'd be a yeah, great one. Yeah. Yeah, and as we uh, as we start to wind down here, man, I'd be remiss to not to to ask you a couple questions. Now, obviously, we got the uh, you know what show you would love to go back to or you know continue on with the story, and that would be Johnny Quest. Um, now, 
obviously this is uh you have to think about this one you know this is 40 or 35 40 years i can't remember when johnny quest originally came out so it's a little bit of a thinker but was came your out, favorite came out 63 63 yep so 60 years um going back to so watching that as a kid right and enjoying the show is the same character that you grew up loving one two of those the same character you love now obviously you can love all your kids differently but is there that same character that you loved as a kid still as an adult that that is a really interesting question and it has evolved when i was a little kid i i related to johnny the most mm -hmm. when i got a little older it was like race band it's the cool james bond guy yeah but in writing the show, I became very enamored of Dr. Quest because there was mm -hmm. something about uh, the smartest guy in the in the world writing for him. You really, I really had to level up and come up with a moment here or there that that were really out of the box thinking. And I kind of like his pattern, but also it, it has to do with something with um, uh, John Delancey you know uh who did his voice for us and though he doesn't really sound like the original guy uh vocally he evokes the character quite well for me and um i came to really he kind of became a favorite i had to almost back off a little bit because i started well it was one of telling you that where he's like he goes after dr zen he kills race you know yeah. hang back johnny hang back i'm i'm gonna get him and uh it's like uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty fighting over the yes. fighting over the waterfall. You know that's that was the moment I kind of wanted to wanted to create, and and these two nemesis is with their hands around each other's throats just about. Um, so he became the guy for me, and I have to say that I wrote like nine of those that I didn't I didn't give Haji his due because I, I only did nine. If we kept going, I would have definitely done some Haji based stories. I wasn't quite as generous with him as I should have been. Uh, I certainly gave Johnny and Jesse and race a lot of moments and Dr. Quest. Um, and Rob Paulson did his voice. I loved, love Rob, you know, he's also Yakko and Pinky. Right. But Rob did a great job. I just hadn't got around to him, but, to be fair, Glenn Leopold, the head writer on the show, where wrote 12 to my nine, um, he did some really strong Haji shows. So Haji was not neglected. He was just neglected by me. And I regret that a little bit. You know, I could have done, done some stuff with him, you know, but didn't have the time, didn't have the amount of episodes, so. Well, since you gave us a uh, you you gave us a Johnny and 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 Doctor Quest centric episode with you know Johnny's mom, is there one or two ideas you might have thought about for Haji that that you would love to do if you could get a, a crack at it again? I never really torture myself about what would have been and what could have been. Mm -hmm. I always had in the back of my mind I was going to do the Johnny's mom story if we got to do more, um, but. Uh, beyond that, it's just like, well, I beat myself up mentally about when yeah. things aren't happening, you know, because I'll tell you something, if they said tomorrow, like Lance, you get to do Johnny quest and you have creative freedom complete, you know, that would be the catch. Um, I could think of like 20 stories right off the bat that would all yeah. work. I, could, I would like look at a globe 
or a map and just go, oh, you can do this here, this here, this here, this mm -hmm. here. The first one I wrote was a story in Prague about the golem. It said the golem isn't a, a monster that's used a whole lot. And so I did a little bit of research and I found out, oh, that's in Prague. Okay, we've never been there. And also Prague was a former Soviet, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Czech Republic was a former Soviet satellite country. So there's an aspect of maybe there's this Russian general that wants to get things back to where they were before the fall of the Soviet Union. And he gets a hold of the golem and that's going to be his weapon. So the thing wrote itself like bump, 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 right? Um, so I had a race, you know, with a gun and and this this bad guy who's ide ideologically opposed to race, but also you have a big monster chasing the kids. So, you know, it just the damn thing wrote itself. Um, yeah. And I could do that over and over and over and over. I have no, no uh, doubt about being able to write Johnny Quest stories. Haji, the only thing, I had a title, which was Hide and Go Seek, S-I-K-H. Oh, somehow I wanted to do words. I somehow wanted to do that. But, but uh, and ra we had one called uh, Race Against Danger. And it was originally titled Race Against Death, which is a real phrase. And, but it's also a pun because it's Race Bannon. And so yeah, death is too strong. We're using race against danger. And it was I I didn't fight it, pick your battles, you know. But it was like, well, race against danger isn't really a there's nothing clever about it, you know. But race against death is a little cleverer. Yeah, there's stakes so, there. Anyway. What? Yeah, there's stakes there. Race against death. You're you're invested yeah. before the, the 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 show even starts. You're like, I don't want to see race die. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know. And that story was a little bigger before it was originally Race and Johnny handcuffed together, but also Jade and um, and uh, Jesse handcuffed together. But there just wasn't room to do it. So, Well, hopefully you get that chance to do it one more time. This is the last question, then we'll wrap it up, man. If you could go back and tell your younger self anything about the future, what would you go back and tell yourself? Well... I would I would go to Fred Seibert when I saw how south Johnny Quest was going with the team before us. And and what I did is I obeyed the chain of command. And there was a, an executive named Buzz Potemkin that hired his friends who ruined the show hmm. until we kind of sort of fixed it. And he hired those guys. I respected, I liked Buzz personally. I respected the chain of command. So I went to Buzz seeing things going south. And I made we made a pitch. We did artwork and things like that. Really, they're not, they're, these guys aren't getting it. And he said, well, thank you. And he sat on the artwork. And if I had gone a, a, around his back and went to Fred and just shut the door and begged him, please. These guys are ruining this thing and you're investing a lot of money in it. And look at their, look at their resume and their history and look at the work they have done and look at the level of responsibility they have been as producers, which wasn't sterling and look at our record, but also look at how much we love that show and want to do the best version of it. And the fact that I did not do that, that I, that I was maybe afraid to or respect the chain of command, um, 
and maybe I, I know I'm gonna these are strong words, but that the failure of that show was the last nail in the coffin for Hanna Barbera. So it costs a lot of money and it didn't make it. And it it was a mess, and that's why it didn't make money. And I think that there's a parallel universe where I I got a hold of Johnny Quest with Davis and Glenn and so forth first. And we made a great show. We made a show with the resources they had. We could have made a better show than Doug Wilde made in the 60s, which is me saying a hell of a lot because I think it's the greatest adventure show ever made. And also subsequent things like by Bruce Tim and so forth that I think are exceptional, exceptional shows. But I think with their resources and that property and the love we had for it and the talent we had, we could have done a better show. And we could have done 65 great episodes of that show that would have done dynamite, would have moved merchandise, would have uh, gotten the popular zeitgeist all over again. And Hanna-Barbera might still exist if that had happened. So imagine that regret, that theoretical, hypothetical regret on my heart is, is maybe I could have saved the whole fucking studio, you know, if I had blown past uh, Buzz and took that artwork, which was beautiful, and went to Fred with it and just made my case. Because Fred would have listened to me. He would have given me the time of day, you know. And uh, I think Fred's a really smart guy. And I could have definitely explained what I thought was going wrong, you know, quite, quite well. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a big one, man. That's a really big one. Really appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time um, and giving me a little bit of your stories. I really hope that if anything... Before you're done, you hang up your pencils when it comes to, to to drawing and writing. I hope you get one more crack at Johnny Quest because if there's one one show, one series that I think deserves it, it's for sure Johnny Quest. There's a lot of shows that deserve it, but Johnny Quest never got us to do it. Got to could do a little bit of a comeback, but it was nothing in comparison to some of the stories that you've told here that I would love to see. Um, like I said, thank you for everything you've done for me and so many fans yeah. like me. I really appreciate it. Um, where can the fans go and say, hey, Lance, I, I love your work and uh, I would love to see what you're doing next. You want to point anybody in any direction? Well, um, there, you know, if you just Google my name, uh, Lance Falk or Lancelot Falk, F-A-L-K, uh, on YouTube, there are all sorts of all sorts of videos like this. And uh, you can get that Johnny Quest uh, Blu-ray and I'm on mm-hmm. there. And they currently watch uh, Rick and Morty. You know, we're really proud of it, and uh, and I'm happy to be on that show. I'm I am uh, on the brink of turning 63. I'm probably going to retire, you know, in a couple of years. And I feel like, um, you know, with regards to your wish, I got in there and I did got to do Johnny Quest, and I did mm-hmm. a lot of things I wanted to do with it. So it's. So I don't have any regrets in that part of like getting to work on it and doing what I wanted to do. So I feel like I checked that box really well Um, because I, you know, I was writing, I was drawing, I was Mm. doing all sorts of things. I was in the, in the brain trust and I feel like I acquitted myself quite well. I'm real proud of the shows. And um, 
uh, I do, like I said, I, 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 I have this show idea and it's a crazy giant, uh, ambitious idea. That's an anthology with, it's like eight shows in one that are all kind of linked thematically, but they're all like eight separate shows that could work. And it's, if you think about Animaniacs, you know, where there's Yakko, Wacko and Dot, but there's Pinky in the Brain, but there's Bindi, Mindy and Buttons and then all these different things. It's kind of like that only on a bigger level, but I also have like everything I've learned over the years. I have like certain production concepts, uh, like how to how to set up a, a production very specifically, format things that I think are are different. And um, I think the, the eight ideas are really, really super solid. And the maxim is, you know, I'm, I'm working on the show that I would want to see and I would have always wanted to see when I was a kid. Um, so it's just something I play with. So if I'm going along in life and one path is I'm just drawing Rick and Morty props until I hang it up, that's fine. I like doing what I'm doing. Everybody's really super nice. I get to work at home, hang out with my little dogs. Uh, don't have that commute. See everyone on Zoom once a week. That's great. I can do that. You know, I've never minded getting up and working. I love it. Or I could sell this thing. Then I'd be back in the game in a big way, you know, and and I would uh, find renewed purpose in life and energy and things. But the odds of selling a show are very tiny, you know, generally. Everyone has an idea. And then the idea of selling the show I'm talking about, which would be massively complex to produce and expensive. And I'm untried in that area, you know, kind of thing. Um, probably not, but it's kind of fun to work on and imagine. So if one thing happens, that'd be awesome. But if, the, but if just what I'm doing now... Is it? That's fine too. Now I know I said last question, but this is the last question. Have you thought crowdsourcing, Patreon, uh, Kickstarter, anything like that? Well, what I what I was doing is, um, I'll just say this about the idea: is that like other anthology shows, like Animaniacs, like Bullwinkle, you know, had different things, and I had Peabody and Sherman mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. They're all the same style. And one of the things I want to do is have each a incredibly unique style. And none of them look like the current primetime stuff, the bug eye thing. That I'm on a show that looks like that and it looks fine, but I want to do something different than mm -hmm. what's being done. So you go from Disney animation to UPA, from CGI to, you know, like to hand-drawn to the puppet thing, to, to all sorts of things. And I'd raised about uh, about 15 grand to hire my favorite artists that are in the business that are good friends to work up the development art. And I just cracked it. And then the, uh, the strike hit and I was out of work and I had to live off that money. So I just burned through that savings. I'm, I'm very grateful I had the money to live off of. Mm -hmm. But now I've got to build that again. I really don't want to do the crowdfunding thing right now. I kind of want to keep it close to the vest because yeah. I know, like, I know the people I want to design it. I just need to raise the funds to pay them a fair rate to design mm. it. Um, 
and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Or maybe I'll I'll look around my house and like maybe I'll sell my freaking comic collection to raise the money or whatever, you know. So I'm still processing. Beautiful. TBD is what it sounds like, ladies and gentlemen. Well, like I said, Lance, real big fan of you. I hope you get to do everything and anything you want to do before you hang it up, man. Um, this has been a real blast. Uh, anytime you want to come back on, you're more than welcome. He's been Lance. I've been Julian. It's been a What's in My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Great. Thank you, Julian. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Before we go, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with the podcast today. I truly appreciate every download and listen we get. If you're liking what we're doing, drop us a five-star rating, drop us a review, tell a friend, and I'll see you next week.